the Fire Within Podcast. You need a sustainable plan, the right mindset, and the knowledge and inspiration to stoke the fire within. Just like the Phoenix, you can burn your old habits, never turn back, and emerge completely anew. There are no shortcuts. Welcome, Fire Within community. This is the Fire Within Podcast, where we talk about all things health, fitness, and nutrition related. I'm your host, Brandon, with my co-host and producer, Joe. Hello. Hey, Joe. I'm excited about today's guest. Her name is Trisha Nelson, internationally acclaimed author, transformational speaker, and emotional eating expert. She lost 50 pounds by identifying and healing the underlying causes of her emotional eating. She spent over 30 years researching the hidden causes of the addictive personality. She's the author of the number one best-selling book, Heal Your Hunger, Seven Simple Steps to End Emotional Eating Now. She also certifies health coaches so they can get better results, referrals, and revenue by helping their clients overcome emotional eating. She's the host of popular podcasts called The Heal Your Hunger Show and is a highly regarded speaker. Trisha has been featured on NBC, CBS, KTLE, Fox, and Discovery Health. I think she's already done more than I've done in the last, well, I've only been alive for 34 years. So that's an impressive resume. Thanks for joining us, Trisha. Thanks for having me. Great to be with you guys. Let's start talking about your personal journey of losing 50 pounds and, and discovering a lot of it was tied into emotional eating. Can you tell us about that experience? Yeah, I grew up as a fat kid. I hated every minute of it. I loved food though. <laughs> so yeah. I loved to eat. I loved to cook. I loved to cook for other people. I loved to go out to dinner. It was just all the biggest source of excitement in my life. And that would have been fine. I would have just been a foodie if I hadn't put on so much weight. But by age 21, I was 50 pounds overweight. So it was really embarrassing to me. I was bigger than my friends and I didn't fit in my clothes and I just felt uncomfortable in my body. But I had this driving obsession to eat. So it was a real bugaboo for me. And I had this roll on my tummy that I would scrunch up in my hands and imagine cutting off like you cut fat off the side of a steak. And I thought about getting some disease, automatically lose weight without having to diet or I didn't thought of joining the army where they'd force me to exercise at boot camp. I hated to exercise. So I was pretty uh, desperate is to say the least. And, and no matter what diet I tried, it would work for some time, but then it would get really hard and I wouldn't be able to follow through. I'd just be like, oh my God, when can I eat chocolate again. And then I'd, of course, go back up the scale when I did that. It was quite the merry-go-round for me. I I just hit a bottom where I was like, I can't do this for the rest of my life. I was a yo-yoer. So I'd be like, I was a yo-yo dieter. I'd be like up 10 pounds, down 20 pounds, up 30 pounds, down 15 pounds. And I had like five different sizes of pants in my closet because I never knew what size I'd be. So this went on for years for me and it was really depressing. And what happened for me is I got off the diet roller coaster ride and I met somebody who showed me how I could lose weight without dieting. And that was to address the underlying causes. Like, why was I eating so much? Why did I feel compelled to eat in spite of knowing where it took me? So that's really how I began to heal. And that was many years ago. And then fast forward to, I've been helping people with emotional eating for decades, but five years ago, I started Heal Your Hunger, where I, I went online and teach people around the globe how they can really step-by-step, step, how they can overcome emotional eating. Wow. I grew up a fat kid as well. And I still am a foodie and my favorite experiences are still culinary. But uh, yeah, that's, uh, I remember- I like that, to eat. Don't get me wrong. I still like to eat. 
I didn't join the army, but I, I uh, did cross country um, in high school for no other reason to, than to lose weight. And it worked. And then when I decided to go the music route, I, I put on a ton of weight, like 60 pounds in college. So when you found out more about the emotional side, are you able to talk about what were some of those linchpins? What were some of the things that caused the eating? Yeah. Oh my gosh. There's a web of them. It's, I think a lot of people who might be listening might be saying, Hey, I'm not an emotional eater. I like, I just like food because that was me. I thought that's a stupid term. That's not me, (laughs) but you can't, you can't unhear the term and you can't unhear the information. So that's why I'm grateful for being on here today. Because once I heard it, I started to observe my behaviors around food and I realized I'm not like my friends. Like we'll go out to, you know, Denny's or something. And this is back in the day, but when I was younger, they'd order sandwich and it would come with fries. They'd eat their sandwich and pick up their fries, but I'd eat my fries and pick up the sa- my sandwich. And I think, how could anybody leave a French fry on their plate? Like that's just, that's sacrilege. Just so yeah. I recognize that I was different in that way. And of course, in the the yo-yoing and always being on a diet. But the underlying causes really to help people begin to think along those terms, I make it really easy by identifying something called the PEP test. And I created this as a way for people to understand the connection between their emotions and their eating. PEP is an acronym. And the first P stands for painkiller because we know what food does to us, but we need to start looking what it does for us. And so it serves as a painkiller when we're uncomfortable, when something bad happens in our life that we just feel like we can't manage. Painful experiences like death in the family, sickness, losing a job, having a dysregulated kid or a parent that's sick, so many things, a relationship that's gone awry, so many things that cause us pain. And we just dive headfirst into the food. Like we just don't want to feel painful emotions. So food's a good painkiller. And the reason why we binge on things like, you know, carbs and sugar instead of salad is because carbs and sugar put a blanket on our feelings. Like we don't feel as much when we eat heavier, carb-rich, dense foods. So that's the first P in PEP. The E in PEP stands for escape. And, and this is basically escaping our reality. So emotional eaters tend to be, I always say overeaters tend to be overthinkers. So we basically kind of drive ourselves nuts overthinking everything. What did she mean by that? And how, what are they thinking about me? And did I do that right? And I should have done better. And I'm not perfect yet. What's wrong with me? You know what I mean? So we have all these crazy, mean thoughts. And then we just want to get out of our heads. Like we just want to get out of our heads and food's a great way to do that. I got my binge foods. I got my bingeable TV show and I was off to the races. It was like world just go away for a little bit. It was sort of like shutting the world down and really shutting my head down. And the last P stands for punishment, which seems counterintuitive because yummy foods tend to be our reward but if you're like me and you over overshoot the mark and you eat more than you plan on it, like you plan on a few cookies and you eat the whole bag, you plan on a bowl of ice cream, but you keep going back until the pint is gone, you eat the whole bag of chips, then you feel sick, then you're mad at yourself, then you're like, oh my God, I did it again. What's wrong with me? I'm such a loser, blew my diet. And so all those thoughts, that's not so much of a, a reward. That sounds like more of a punishment, doesn't it? Yeah. So that's like begs the question, why would I do that to myself? And my experience is 
We punish ourselves because we feel guilty. We Guilt sticks us to us like glue. And emotional leaders, as I said, are overthinkers, we're overfeeling, and we feel guilty about everything. So we're super hard on ourselves, always dogging ourselves for not doing things perfectly. And, and that takes its toll. And we end up hurting ourselves with food. So to recap, pet, the PEP formula is a way to identify if you're eating because of some pain that you want to kill, some emotions that you want to escape from, or perhaps from some guilt that you just really want to hurt yourself over. And these are subconscious things. You don't ever say, oh, I'm going to go escape my feelings, or I'm going to go punish myself with food. It starts as a reward, starts as something fun, but we have to dig into it a little bit to start to see, wow, it's not so simple. It's not just, I like food. I want to pick some these uh, part one at a time. Let's start with the, the painkiller one, the first P. And... Uh, for the more scientific crowd, I thought it'd be fun to talk about what physiologically can go be going on hormonally to where carbs help with that. And, and I'd just be curious of your thoughts. Is it like uh, we get a serotonin or a dopamine hit when we get that insulin spike? And that's why we go to Absolutely. these comfort foods? Absolutely. And that's also, yes, we, we get that spike. It does. It's like putting a blanket on, on, on our emotions. It's softening the edges, the sharp edges of our emotions for sure. Yeah. And for those that aren't familiar with emotional pain versus physical pain, I know there are some studies that show like a breakup or a divorce could actually would have a similar effect on the nervous system is breaking your femur. I don't remember the exact study to quote on that, but so I do think people physically do feel pain from this emotional pain. I know for me, typically in my stomach, I feel physical convulsions if it's really bad, really stressful, high anxiety types of things. But so you do get that temporary numbness of that with that sugar spike. So I think it's important that people can identify that. So that's dead on with that first P and escapism and trying to get out of your head. What do you think some healthier alternatives that can have a similar effect um, of that escapism? Yeah. For one thing, picking up the phone and calling a friend. The oxytocin hit that we get from the feel-good hormones, speaking of hormones, that can really mitigate how we're feeling to just get the release from feeling accepted and loved and validated by a friend makes a huge difference. Other things, taking a nap is really good. I love to go out for a walk. I just put my earbuds in and I put on some really good, feel good music. And, and immediately I'm feeling lighter, you know, and less stressed out. So I think those are some just easy things we can do. Yeah. Yeah. Walking um, and exercise in general, you're going to get a rise in endorphins and dopamine. You, you get out in the sun's going to increase vitamin D, which is going to, is a precursor to serotonin, which is a precursor to melatonin. So it's also helping your sleep cycles. So I think exercise is awesome. How about like adult coloring books and things like that? Yeah, I love it. Yeah. I love, I have a coloring book and I, I give them out to my, um, clients often. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think everybody should reach out to somebody they can consider a mentor. I have somebody, uh, James Hess. He was actually my first guest I ever had on my podcast years ago. And he gave me my start in nutrition and fitness, but we still meet every month and, uh, or sometimes twice a month, three times a month. And when crap gets real in life, uh, he's one person, no matter what's going on, I can tell him what's going on. Uh, or Joe here. Yeah, I lay all yeah. kinds of crap on Joe. It's a great point. I do all my work. All my programs are in groups because there is so much power in knowing you're not the only one who struggles in this way. There's a lot of shame with people who emotionally eat. They seem feel embarrassed about their binges. They want to hide their body, turn their video off on Zoom when they're, they've gained weight. And so 
that shame can really be alleviated when you have other people on the path with you. And then adopting healthy habits is always going to be easier when you do it in a group setting with other people cheering you on. I have had clients over the years who are saying, is it okay if I leave my camera off? Because they are ashamed of what they look like. I'm like, that's why we're here is to help you through that. Uh, but they yeah. really do have that sense. But I think having a coach like you and a professional on their team can make a huge difference. You know, even me, when I had an incredibly stressful situation last year, I saw a therapist. And I know all the things to do with exercise and diet, and it helps. It does. But very few things could take the place of a talking to a professional who can help you through those things. And we're very grateful for people like you. So, so thank you. And then that last P, the punishment side, the, what I hear the most common, let's say somebody was abused when they were younger or something is if I punish myself by making myself fat, I'm less likely to be targeted. Do you run into that kind of thing a lot? Yeah, I've done it. I had sexual abuse in my past and it definitely drove my overeating. It drove my weight gain. And it's it doesn't really, it's a subconscious belief that I'm going to protect myself if I have these rolls of fat on my body. It doesn't really work. We might be overlooked by people. What, what is meant to protect us imprisons us. But I have done it and that was something I had to address. It was all part of my healing journey was to take a look at those subconscious beliefs about myself and to find healthier ways to feel safe in the world for sure. But that's a big part of why 98% of all diets fail is people... They think it's easy just to lose weight and, and look great, but there it's an involved thing because once we lose weight, we do have more attention and we don't have the cover that we're, we had before to make us feel safe. And also we have more feelings. We're ac accessing more feelings when we don't have weight to cover it up, food to cover it up or to anesthetize our feelings. So it's a whole nother ball game to live in a thinner body. And if people don't have new tools, they're going to go back to eating. I have known people to lose a significant amount of weight and end up putting it on for various reasons. I think sometimes as they do crash diets and get it off too quickly and then there's a hormonal rebound. But, uh, but I think maybe some of it is that as well. And similar on that topic, how can you differentiate between an emotional eater and a food addict? How, how do you know which one you are? Are they different things? Or are they one and the same? I consider it to, to be a, a spectrum. And I actually um, have a quiz on my website that people can, it's a free quiz you can take to find out where you are on the spectrum. But on the low end of the spectrum is emotional eating. On the high end of the spectrum is food addiction. What qualifies where you end up on that spectrum are two things. One is the level of control you have to scale back. People in the low end of the spectrum, and I think we're all hardwired to have an emotional connection with food. I think of a mother breastfeeding her child. It's one of the most beautiful, emotionally bonding experiences somebody can have, two people can have. But the problem is with this experience of emotional eating is that if we can't control ourselves and we go overboard, which is what I did, then you end up developing this addiction. And some people are like, how can you be, you know, addicted to food you have to eat? Well, you can be addicted to certain foods like sugar and carbs and that kind of thing. But it's just the reasons why you turn to food also. When we eat when we're not hungry, we're eating for emotional reasons. So if we can't scale back and we go overboard once we start, that's a problem. And the other thing is how many consequences do you have? If you put on a little bit of extra weight at holiday time, maybe that's not such a big deal. You scale back, you exercise more, you cut out sweets and you're back to your normal weight. But if you're like me, where once you start, you can't stop and then you go down this rabbit hole and you put on 20 pounds up and down when your weight fluctuates, that takes its toll, as you probably know. And, and people's 
joints start getting achy, they have joint pain, they have gut issues from eating really crappy foods, all kinds of physical symptoms. The longer you overeat, the longer you're going to, the more symptoms you're going to have. So that also will inform where somebody ends up on the spectrum and ends up more in the food addiction arena. Hey, Fire Within Nation, has this ever happened to you? You go online to find a quick recipe for mashed potatoes, but first you have to hear about Grandfather's Farm in 1929. When I was a boy. <laughs> the first time you had a potato, and like six and a half chapters later, you get to the ingredient list. Tasted like dirt. Drives me nuts. So me and Joe have worked to solve that issue for you. If you head to firewithinnf.com and check out the recipe section, healthy recipes, following the Fire Within way. And it's just the recipe, no blog, you're welcome. You'll find recipes like steak chimichurri. There's a bananas foster smoothie recipe. There's a sourdough French toast. Lots of healthy things. Make your own ranch dip and, and tons more. So head to firewithinnf.com. Check out the recipe section and enjoy. And now a very similar question. What is the difference between emotional hunger and physical hunger? They're not the same, obviously. We have to eat. We do need to be feeding our bodies. But at a certain point, we, we're done. But if we keep eating for emotional reasons, if somebody goes to the refrigerator five times of an evening, wondering if anything new has been planted in the refrigerator, we're looking for something. We're craving something. We want something to make us feel better. And that's emotional hunger. And so physical hunger is appropriate. And I recommend that people eat three meals a day with nothing in between, typically, because that will help you start to feel your hunger in between meals. If we're just grazing all day long, we don't know what an emotion is. Like it's, we're just so numbed out all the time. We don't even know, we're not acclimated to feeling any hunger that's physical and we're not accustomed to feeling our feelings and our feelings show up in between meals when there is hunger and we have to allow that to happen. But we have to have new tools for dealing with it when it feels overwhelming to us. I have a question. You mentioned earlier when we were starting the conversation that you didn't used to like to exercise. And I imagine that's a lot of people's journey, but you got to say it in past tense. So how did you change that to where like, <laughs> I, I used to hate it? And now what's your relationship with it? Do you like it? Do you enjoy it? I'm not a big exerciser and yet I do exercise daily. So as a baseline, I walk every day because it's gentle, maybe like a 12 minute mile or something. And, and, but I like it. I actually pray when I walk. I just like the connection I feel when I'm walking and I'm by myself. So that's my baseline. And I make sure that I do 5,000 or more steps a day just from my phone measures it. And that just makes me feel like I'm moving my body. I'm out. I take phone calls. I do coaching calls while I'm walking other kinds of phone calls. And it just makes me feel good to move my body. But beyond that, I, I had to find a form of exercise I really like. So it has to be a sport that I like. I love to play tennis. So that doesn't feel like exercise. It has to not feel like exercise to me because I'm not good at just going to the gym and grunting it out. So the other thing I like is a bar class. So I do a bar method class because there's other people. Again, I have to do things in community. Otherwise, I'll just talk myself out of it. And that's super nice too, because it's toning, it's conditioning my body, it's building my core, but it's not high intensity, high energy. So that high energy stuff is not for me. And so I had to find something that just is motivating, feels good to my body and doesn't feel like I'm beating my body. 
body up. With many emotional eaters, because we do binge, because unhealthy foods and feel bad afterwards, we tend to punish ourselves with exercise. And then that sets up this real love-hate relationship. And so I love exercise, but I do gentle exercise and I do it to condition my body not to get rid of calories. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think it is important to have a healthy, positive relationship with exercise and not yeah. not like it's time to scourge yourself type thing, Yeah, uh, which is very un- unhealthy. Now, I did want to take some time and talk about your book. Can you tell, and, and once again, that was a bestseller, Heal Your Hunger, Seven Simple Steps to End Emotional Eating Now. Can you touch on that framework, uh, maybe just a word or two about um, each of the seven steps and what they can expect in that book? without giving the yeah. whole book away? First of all, the book is, um, <clears throat> it's in print on Amazon, but it's also an audible. So I did narrate the book so somebody can listen. It's about a five hour read, listen as if, if you want. But, but if you buy the paperback, I recommend both. But if you buy the paperback, uh, it does have some awesome cartoons in it as well. But the book is great because I do outline, I talk about my own personal journey of overcoming emotional eating. And then definitely like you're talking about my step-by-step process, which I call the seven C's for overcoming emotional eating. C's with the letter C. So they all start with C. The first one is clean eating. So obviously eating clean is going to help if you're eating burgers and fries every day, it's going to be hard to lose weight. And it's going to be hard to feel good about your food choices. But but the point is, whatever you eat, putting it in three meals, like I mentioned, helps you put space between your meals and gets you to acclimate to hunger. So that's really important. But you can't really eat clean unless you deal with the underlying causes. So I don't stop there. The next thing that's really important is centeredness, getting still and calm and centered. Most of us pop out of bed every day and we're just like, I'm going to go get it. And so we don't give ourselves time to build some inner resources. So I say put money in your spiritual bank account first thing in the morning, have a meditation or prayer or spiritual reading practice or all three where you're feeling you're getting centered and calm. But so much of our eating is stress eating. So we have to bring our stress levels down and having that morning routine where we're getting still and quiet, where we're connecting with our spirit, that's going to help us throughout the day. And if you put money in your spiritual bank account, you can take withdrawals later in the day when you're starting to get stressed out. You've piled up a whole bunch of stress throughout the day. Late in the days when most people start snacking, reaching for quick energy foods like coffee or chocolate. So um, really important that we set up that, to set ourselves up for success by not starting the day just ricocheting off of the different needs of the day, but just really getting still and quiet. Another C is commute, which is really important, as I mentioned, because none of us can overcome an addictive habit on our own. We need community, we need encouragement, we need love, and we need something deeper because it's not food we're really hungry for. We really do crave connection. So connection and community are vital, absolutely vital. Another thing that I recommend to people is learning how to communicate. Emotional eaters tend to swallow what they want to say. We, we stuff it with food. And so I always tell people, say it, don't stuff it. And we have to learn how to speak up for ourselves because emotional eaters tend to want to, we're people pleasers and we want people to like us. And so we don't say how we really feel. We don't speak our truth. And then we end up beating ourselves up with food because we're pissed that we Shoulda, coulda, woulda said something and we didn't. So communication is so important. Consciousness, really getting conscious of the fact that we're not islands here, that we really are part of a greater whole, that that sort of spiritual consciousness is so important and really realizing that 
we were brothers and sisters on this planet and we need to act like it and we need to be kind to one another and helpful to one another. And I mean, most of us are good people, but we tend to get really hyper-focused on what we need and want. And it makes us feel more isolated. And the more isolated the f- we feel, the more we eat. We tend to eat for that reason. Just reading spiritual books, being more connected to friends, these things will raise our consciousness, stopping negative habits like gossiping or being catty that all just help us feel more at one with our fellow human beings, our fellow travelers on this path of life. Another are causes, the emotional causes. And so I go deep into those underlying causes. And so the causes are, it's a layering effect. Like I, I don't take people deep right away because it would freak them out. I thought my problem was food and you're telling me I have all this deep stuff, but it doesn't take 20 years of therapy to heal from uh, emotional eating either. I take a lot of the guesswork out of it. So I show people how to dig into those underlying causes. I tell them what the primary ones are. And I talk about that in the book. So it really helps people to just start to change their ways. You know, it's really not an eating problem. It's a living problem. And so we have to face how we live. There's something also I talk about in the book called the anatomy of the emotional eater. And this is really important to address. It's 24 personality traits that make up the emotional eater's experience. And the top one is people-pleasing, which people relate to because emotionally it's the top one because people, as emotional eaters, we didn't have a strong sense of ourselves growing up. We had situations in our life that just made us feel like we weren't really up to par. And so we tend to want validation from our outside ourselves. We want people to give us attaboys and girls, but then we kill ourselves trying to get it. We're constantly knocking ourselves out, saying yes to everything. I'll, I'll host the party. I'll bake the cookies for the soccer team. I'll do the driving. All this uh, yes stuff ends up making us feel burned out and resentful because nobody's ever as pleased as we set out for them to be. So then we're like, thank you. That's all I get. Like I knocked myself out. I pulled an all-nighter for this project. So we have to really watch that and stop saying yes to everything, stopping all things to all people because it doesn't pay off. If we have to bend, end the night, we skip meals trying to overwork and and please people, we end up paying for it. And so we have to just ask ourselves, am I willing to pay that price? We have to We have to scale back somewhere. We can't keep living the same and expect to eat differently. If we're going to live the same, we're going to eat the same. So we have to live differently so we can eat differently. And then you mentioned a little, you said emotional eaters are us type of people. Have you done any research into Enneagram types? My wife is obsessed with that stuff, especially on Instagram. (laughs) Is there a specific Enneagram type or number that seems to correlate more with emotional eating? But go ahead with what you were saying. My sister is always trying to figure everybody out in their Enneagrams. I'm not real adept at it. So I couldn't say... and, and frankly, both my sisters are who are both into the Enneagram. They're both emotional eaters as well. And we're all different numbers on the Enneagram. No, I don't actually think there is a certain number that is, is correlated with this. The pleaser type, of course, but we do come in all shapes and sizes. And even emotional eaters aren't always overweight. There's We all can have the tendency to obsess about food, but it's not necessarily just overweight people. So the personality 
traits I discuss, there are very typical ones. And so I just think that's really, it blows my mind, blows people's mind when they read about those traits because they're like, check, check. Oh my God, this girl's got my number. And so there are traits that lead to emotional eating. Another one is having a racing mind. I talked a bit about that already. And that's why it's really hard for us to meditate as emotional eaters. We're like, I, my mind won't shut up. And if you sit down and be quiet for 20 minutes, guess what? Your mind might go from 50,000 miles an hour to 10,000 miles an hour. Do you want that result? That's a good result. So it's not that your mind's going to be like totally quiet, but we're going for improvement here, not perfection. And so I think that is really important for people to remember too, because we tend to be perfectionists as well. Might be counterproductive, but a lot of times when I meditate, I'm just thinking about what I'm going to eat next. (laughs) I I do too. I get it. And what's for dinner? (laughs) (laughs) That's like my most interrupting thought. The key is not to judge it. The key is not to say, oh, I'm crappy meditator because I was thinking about dinner. No, it's we're going to keep thinking, you know, and it's just, just do it anyway. Now, the final question we ask every guest on the show, if somebody's looking to transform their lives, in this case, it could be emotional eating specific, what are the top three things you would recommend them to do to get started? Oh, yeah. It's, I would say, first and foremost, create that, do something in the morning before you start answering texts and getting on Instagram. Do something to get connected with your source. And that may seem a little woo, but I cannot tell you how important that is because as stress eaters, the more stressed out we are, the more we eat. And so it's really important to do something. We have to face our stress level and do something about it. And that first thing in the morning, while the kids are still asleep, while there's quiet and calm, and that's the time to just get up a little earlier, set your alarm 15, 20 minutes earlier, read something inspirational, spiritual, and just get connected with yourself. Like we have the answers within, but we're always looking without, but we have to connect within first. So that's the first thing I would say. The second thing along the same lines of reducing stress is look at your pack schedule. Where can you offload some things? Stop putting like every moment, stop committing every moment of your day where you're on this constant adrenaline rush that's going to exhaust your adrenals and give you belly fat, right? From the stress of it. It's really important that you start cutting some things out. Stop trying to be all things to all people. Look at the source, which is probably people pleasing or trying to be, you know, Superman or Superwoman and do less. Just do less. Be, do more being rather than doing. Be more than do more. So I think that's really important. And lastly, I would say just stay off the scale because emotional eaters are obsessed or are so obsessed with, did I lose weight? Did I lose weight? I went to the gym. Am I thinner? And it's take the focus off the weight. If you change your life, you will change your eating. We have to, it's a, it's a living problem, not an eating problem. So really do your best to take the focus off of that hyper focus on weight. Weigh yourself once a week or once a month. But stop being in diet mode. Is this good? Is this bad? And start looking at your stress. Start looking at your connection with yourself. Start looking at your thoughts about your body. Be nicer. Be nicer to yourself. But good Lord, please put that scale somewhere where you can't see it every day. Yeah, absolutely. That was great advice. We appreciate you sharing all your knowledge. If somebody wanted to get in contact with you, learn more, find your book, how would they uh, get in contact with you? 
The best place is on my website, which is healyourhunger.com, H-E-A-L, Heal Your Hunger. There's a link there to my book. There's a link to my podcast and also that free quiz I talked about. That's a great place for someone to start. Take the free quiz, learn what your personalized score is on that spectrum of emotional eating, and then go from there. Awesome. Thanks for everything you shared. I learned a lot. And for our listeners, if you like what you've learned on this show and you want other people to find the show, the best way to do that is to leave a five-star review on Apple. That makes us show up higher in the rankings when people are looking for health and nutrition content. And uh, we'll read your review live on the show. Thanks for tuning in today. I hope you got a lot of value out of today's episode. If you did, Go check us out at firewithinnf.com and sign up for Refuel, a weekly email with recipes, videos, and tips to stoke the fire within. Also, you can join the Fire Within community by being added to our Facebook group. And don't forget to follow us on social media.